Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. I believe we have a word from the Lord that that everybody needs to hear and receive as a word from the Lord. Uh, You know, it's important for us to talk to God. But it's far more important for us to listen when God is speaking. And one of the primary ways that God has chosen to speak to his people is through the preached word. When God has given you a pastor or a shepherd, he, he does that because he intends to speak to you, to lead you, to guide you, to, and to instruct you through that servant. So please don't just view us as, as mere men when we come to bring God's word. See us as instruments God has chosen to speak a word to you that is for your good. Amen. But you need to heed. The Bible says, let him who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying. So decide right now, I'm going to hear what God is saying to me. Uh, he sends his word to build us up. He sends his word to correct us. And, and this morning, there's going to be a reproof. There will be some reproving for all of us. And we ask that the Holy Ghost gives all of us the grace to truly hear what he's saying to us. I don't know if you've ever been embarrassed for Jesus or ashamed for Jesus. Uh, I didn't say shame of him or embarrassed by him, but embarrassed, shame for him. Uh, Last week, I, I, I felt shame or embarrassed for Jesus. Uh, I was watching an interview on one of the news channels, and uh, I believe she's the Minister of Foreign Affairs uh, for the UAE, and she was being interviewed after they signed this, you know, they were signing this new agreement with Israel and the UAE. And she was on TV, and she's a very attractive Muslim Arab lady. Uh, She spoke well, very intelligent, um, articulate. But what what really got my attention was how well she looked, how beautiful she was, and how dignified she was in the manner of of her dress. Amen. I noticed she was, I mean, she was well-dressed, but she was properly covered up. She had on, what, I don't know what they call, but it, yeah, I mean, her face wasn't covered, just, you know, almost like a, but yeah, just over her head, I mean, just done well. Uh, but you could see that this woman was dressed in, in a way that, that spoke, you know, the way you dress speaks, right? You're speaking, you're saying something about yourself, you're saying something about your God, you're saying something uh, by the way you dress. And you could tell that by the way she was dressed, she was conscious of the fact that she was representing her country as the Minister of Foreign Affairs. But you could also tell that she was conscious of the fact that she was representing her prophet, Muhammad. 
and she wanted to make sure that she represented both her country and her prophet in a way that caused people to respect her country and her prophet. And to some degree, I'm sure she realized she was representing herself and also wanted to be treated with respect. But she was dressed beautifully, properly covered up. And I said I felt ashamed, a little embarrassed for Jesus. Because to be honest, too many of us don't take him into account, take his glory into account in a lot of things that we do, including in the manner of our dress. You know, the Bible says we need to do everything for the glory of God. And that includes the manner in which we dress. So when I dress and when you dress, we should be conscious that I want the way I dress to show respect for Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. I really think if we were conscious of that when we're choosing the clothes we put on, some of us would dress differently. So I felt embarrassed that here's someone who's obviously conscious of showing respect for her prophet. And too many of us believers don't even take Jesus into account when we're choosing the clothes we're going to put on. You hear me? So I could look, that woman could be standing here and I could look at her and I wouldn't have to look away. I won't be self-conscious. I could look straight at her. But that's not always the case. In fact, too often now, it's not the case with my sisters and my, and even my mothers. I appeal to you, brethren, and I, I appeal to you, sisterin. Everything we do, everything we do must be for his glory. Let's show our Lord respect. Amen? In, in the manner in which we conduct all our affairs, including the manner in which we dress. In Jesus' name. You see, if we would be mindful of that, nobody needs to make any rules. Because that by itself will inform you what is proper and what is not. So we don't need to come up with a long list of don't do this, don't wear that, don't do this. But just always ask yourself, I am, I am dressed in a manner that's going to show respect. Not so... The way you dress in your house when nobody's there is one way. When you're in public, obviously there's some changes, some things that may be okay at home when you're with your children that is not okay when you're in public. So before you go outdoors, consider who you might meet. What do you want to communicate? And make sure that what you want to communicate is something that will glorify the Lord.
All right, so I said I was shamed, I was embarrassed because I feel we don't respect Jesus as much as these people respect their prophet, and we know Jesus is the Son of God. So you know what? I want to talk today about worldliness. Worldliness. Whatever happened to worldliness? Is there such a thing as worldliness anymore? Or it doesn't exist anymore? You know, we know there's legalism on one side where people come up with all kinds of extreme things that they do that is beyond what the Word of God says. They go to the extreme. But I think in reacting against legalism, many of us have gone to the other extreme where everything and anything goes and there are no longer any boundaries that we ought to be able to expect from one another. Are you hearing me? The Bible tells us that there are some things that should not be even named among us. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, but among you there must not be even a, a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. So it's not enough for you to say, well, I'm not committing sexual sexual uh, sins, I'm not committing fornication, but uh, if you are living in the house with a guy you're not married to, there's a hint. And you say, ah, none of my, none of your, you know, it's our business. God has called us to encourage, rebuke, reprove, correct, edify, because he's working with the body, remember? We're one body, he's building up the body, and because we're all connected, our actions do impact one another. He says there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality. So anything that even may suggest it, even though you know you're not doing it, it's not enough for you to know you're not doing it. There should be nothing that would cause people to even have a suspicion. or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are what? Improper for God's holy people. Go to the next verse. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk. Ah, there's a lot of foolish talk that takes place now. Believers get together and they don't talk Christ. They get together and what they're talking is, does, doesn't edify. There's no reference to the word, nothing what God is saying, nothing. They just talk trash. They talk about everything but the Lord. Coarse joking, which are out of place for the child of God. Worldliness is still a problem. Say it's out of place. Instead, there should be thanksgiving. So hear me. There are a lot of things that concerns me and that should concern us that 
are not concerning us things that are too prevalent that, are, that demonstrate very clearly that worldliness is a major problem that we need to confront here at Bethel and that the church needs to deal with. God has called us to be a holy people. That's a people who, that, 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 that is set apart from the world. Do not be conformed to this world, he said, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, yet the world is squeezing us into its mold. And so we look at the world for the pattern, for the example to follow. Well, we are supposed to be the light. Anything Hollywood brings out, anything the stars do, anything the world celebrates, we celebrate. And you look at your life and you look at my life and so often our lives are no different. Other than the fact that maybe we come to church once in a while. So let's talk about wordlessness because the Bible speaks about it and speaks strongly. Let's go to first, first John chapter 2. And I don't want you to think that wordlessness is it's primarily about the clothes you wear. You know, some people, they define it in terms of, okay, the clothes you wear, the lipstick you put on, and unfortunately, the women get all the, the, no, no, the clothes you wear, the lipstick you put on, the things you do are all symptoms, can all be the reflections, they can be indicators of worldliness. But worldliness itself is a mindset. It's a way of thinking. That causes you to prioritize the physical, material world over the spiritual kingdom. So if my the way of thinking, I prioritize this present world, the physical world, the material world, the social world, I prioritize this present world over the spiritual kingdom of God. That is the mindset of worldliness, and that is what will lead you and me to put on clothes we shouldn't put on, go to places we shouldn't go, say things we shouldn't say, fight and argue among ourselves. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, listen, in, in the NIV version, he said, there are certain things I wanted to say to you I couldn't say to you because you are worldly. And then he says, there are conflicts and there are jealousies among you. Doesn't that prove that you are worthless? So worldliness is not just the clothes that you wear. You can, you can, you can be all covered up, but your attitude, you're always fussing, you're jealous, you're in conflict, and you're far more worldly than the person who's wearing lipstick. <laughs> are you hearing me? So it's a, it's a, it's a what? It's a mindset. It's a mindset that prioritizes the physical, the material, and the, the social uh, aspects of this present world over, say over, the spiritual kingdom. It's a mindset that will cause you to pursue physical pleasures, you'll pursue material possessions, you'll pursue social position as the way to fulfill yourself rather than 
the relationship with God which should always be first and God's glory. So anytime I'm thinking, living, acting, like my fulfillment and my satisfaction comes from how much physical pleasure I can get, how much material possessions I can have, and how high a position I can occupy in society, I am worldly. Are you hearing me? If I see those things as the means of fulfilling my life and of being somebody, and therefore that's what I'm going after, instead of living my life every day for the glory of God, I am worldly. And that mindset, that mindset will express itself in all kinds of different ways. It may express itself in my life as someone who's always arguing and fussing and being in conflict with other people. It may express itself in your life in the way you dress. It might express itself in somebody else's life in the way they spend their money. In the fact that they don't give to support the Lord's work. It may express itself in the way you choose to earn your living. Are you hearing me? There are many ways by which worldliness will express itself, and it will express itself in different ways in, in us. But the foundation is, it's about self. It's about pleasing self, and it's about fulfilling self through physical possessions, material possessions, physical pleasure, and social position, power, prestige. The way to fulfill ourselves is through our relationship with God. The thing we should be living for is his glory. Are you hearing me? He saved us out of this present world. He didn't save us to, 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 to continue to live as the world lives. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, so we ought to be different. Listen, if I were to look at the way you live your life and look at the way your neighbor who doesn't believe in God lives his life or her life, and both of you are at the same socioeconomic position, will there be a significant difference? Because you're light and he's darkness. If there is not a significant difference in the way you spend your time, in the way you spend your money, in the way you use your, your talent, then the man who does not believe in Christ, we know Christ isn't in him. So the only explanation will have to be the world is in you. Otherwise, there ought to be a difference. Just by looking at the way you use your time and your money and your talents. There, it should be night and day. Now, God is not against us having things, but there's, there's a way, if we're not careful, that we end up with things having us. God is not against us having pleasure, but you know there's right pleasure and there's wrong pleasure, and you know, you know where to draw the line. If you're living for the glory of God, you will know where to draw the line. If you don't know where to draw the line, it's because you're not living for the glory of God. Are you here? Okay, so let's look at this passage because it, it's a strong warning and, 
And I want you to hear it today the way it was first spoken. This passage, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, if you were to look at the verses just above it, you will see that John says, I'm writing to you, little children. I'm writing unto you, fathers. I'm writing unto you, young men. In other words, he's addressing everybody in the church. The new Christian, the baby Christian, the immature Christian. He's addressing the young men, those who are, you know, strong in the word, he says, and they're growing. And then he's, ex he's exalting the fathers, those of us who are, who are not, not necessarily physically older, but I think that part of that is age, but those who are more spiritually mature, the fathers, they've gotten to the place where now they're having spiritual children, and they're teaching. And he says to all of them, he says to the fathers as well as to the newborn child, he says, listen, do not love the world or the things of the world, which means bishops, pastors, evangelists, elders, deacons, this warning is for you. Don't, don't, don't think, oh, it's just for the new converts. Oh, it's for the young people. Because sometimes we think only the young people can be worldly. This is for me. This is for you. I need to hear this warning. Do not love the world or the things of the world because at my age, I'm still susceptible to being worldly. I'm sure you know a lot of worldly bishops and worldly pastors, worldly elders and deacons. So all of us need to hear this. Do not love the world or the things of the world. So just that alone, it's a categorical uh, 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 prohibition. It's categorical. No exception. Do not love the world. Not don't love the world just a little bit. Or don't love the world too much. Do not love the world. Let's say that. Do not love the world. That is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That is a thus saith the Lord. So may I speak to you as it were the oracles of God? Do not love the world. Child of God, do not love the world of God. Members of Bethel, do not love the, 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 the world. Did I say word, word of God? Do not love the world. All the things that are in the world. So it's not just categorical, it's comprehensive. I mean, everything. Don't love anything that is in the world. Use things, but don't love anything that is in the world. Don't love things. Use things for the purpose for which God gave them, but don't ever allow yourself to fall in love with things. Love people. Use things. But many of us, we turn it around. We use people, and we love things. That's worldliness. When you're using people and loving things, you are worldly. Do not love the world, all the things. So it's comprehensive. You don't love things. You use things. You don't love them. If anyone, ah, it's all-inclusive. It's the fathers. It's the sons. It's the, middle, the, the young men. If anyone all-inclusive, loves the world, the love of the 
father is not in him. Now, that's serious. Don't love the world. One of the saddest scriptures in the Bible uh, is, 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 is in 2 Timothy uh, ch- chapter, chapter 4. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul writes, uh, verse 9, he's writing to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. And then he tells you why. For Demas has forsaken me. And then he tells you why Demas forsook him. Having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. I want you to understand this. This Demas is mentioned also in the book of Philemon. And he's included with Mark. He's included with St. Luke. He's included with Aristarchus. He's included with Epaphras. He's included as a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul. Paul in Philemon called him a fellow laborer. So this guy was a companion, a person in ministry alongside the greatest of all apostles, Paul. He served with Paul, ministered with Paul. They were on a mission in Rome. Paul was in prison. But Mark and, and, and Luke and, and, and Epaphras, they were all there. And Demas was among them. He was a leader, a teacher in the body. And he obviously had been involved in ministry at this level for some time. And sadly, the Bible tells us, demons, at some point, we don't know what broke the camel's back, but at some point he just said, Paul, you know what? I'm going back to Thessalonica. Uh, I'm tired of this. I can imagine maybe he looked at his life and he started to compare what he had. In terms of possessions, what did he have? In terms of pleasures, what did he have in terms of position in society? He maybe had some brothers. He maybe had some sisters. Maybe he had some friends that he grew up with. And he began to look at the position that they had, the possessions they had, what seemed to be the pleasurable light they were living I begin to compare his state in Rome, serving God on a mission field, the apostle in prison, And he said, you know what? I'm wasting my life. I'm throwing my life away. Why should I continue to do this? What is in it for me? I need to go back to Thessalonica and start to to take care of myself. Maybe I could start a business. Maybe there's a, you know, I need to buy my house. He began to look at himself. And the scripture says, he forsook, he abandoned the mission, abandoned the work, went back to Thessalonica, Left Paul alone to continue the work. Paul said, he forsook me. And this is why he did it. He loved the world. Do you see why it's so dangerous to love the world? Do you see why John is warning us and why I need to take it seriously? Because Demas was not a new convert. It's possible after serving God for so many years that you can get to the place where you say, you know, what do I have to show? I'm tired of this. And you can start comparing yourself with unbelievers, worldly people, people who love the world and think they got it better than you. 
May it not be so in Jesus' name. May what happened to Demas not be your testimony. May you never be among those who will forsake the Lord or forsake the Lord's work for the sake of the world. Are you hearing me? So let's go back to 1 John. Chapter 2. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is but not in him. Do not allow the world to capture your heart. You know, the number one problem we have, the danger we have with the world here in the West is not persecution. The danger that we face is not that the world will persecute us, but that the world will seduce us. The danger is that instead of changing the world, we'll start chasing the world. That's the danger. So how does the world, how does the world seduce us and get us to turn from Christ Abandon Christ. How does the world seduce us and cause us to lose our zeal, to lose our desire for the things of God? How does the world seduce us and cause us to become cold? Cold in our relationship with God. And where we start to neglect the local church and we're no longer actively involved in the body of Christ anymore, serving that body with our gifts. How does the world seduce us to get us to the point where we're no longer spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer? How does the world seduce us where we really have no passion to share the gospel with anybody anymore? It's, it's just not on our mind anymore. How does the world get us to where we're no longer passionate about our relationship with God? James tells us, I mean, John tells us, that the world has a strategy. It's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, and it's the pride of life. These are the three things that the world system, under the influence of the evil one, this is what Satan has been using all along. These are his tools for getting us to turn our back on God or on God's word, God's mission, God's work, to cause us to, to begin to minimize our relationship with God. He uses these three things. That, these are the three things he used in the Garden of Eden against Adam and Eve. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are the three things he used to get Jesus. He was trying to seduce Jesus himself to fall in love with the world and to turn his back on his father and his father's purpose for him. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. When he said, Jesus, turn stone into bread, that was the lust of the flesh. When he said, Jesus, look at the kingdoms of this world, I'll give them to you, though that was the lust of the eyes. When he said, jump from the temple, he, he was appealing to the pride of life. These three things, he has used it, he, he used it, and successfully used it against Adam and Eve. They bought it. They were seduced. He made them an offer they thought that was so strong and so good they could not refuse. He made them an offer they thought was better than God's offer, and he deceived them and seduced them. And Adam and Eve ended up choosing the world over the word. 
He tried the same thing with Jesus, but thank God Jesus knew better. And Jesus is our model. Jesus is our pattern, right? Jesus is our example, and Jesus is the source of the power we need to do what God has called us to do. But the devil dared to bring the same. He has a lot of confidence because he knows how well this has worked. He knows how many times, how many people have fallen for this. He knows that he's able to control the world and the people of the world through these three things. That's, these are the things he's using to control men and to make them his tools and his instruments. And he's not limiting this just to people, unbelievers. No, he uses this, unfortunately, quite successfully against us in the church. He tried it against the Son of God. You know he's going to try against you. But thank God, every time he made the offer, when he brought the lust of the flesh, Jesus said, it is written. When he brought the lust of the eyes, Jesus said, it is written. When he brought the pride of life, Jesus said, it is written. So consistently, consistently, Jesus refused to be seduced. As attractive as it was, you see, because Satan will use the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life to make you an offer so attractive that he's convinced you're not going to refuse. But Jesus demonstrated that you can refuse. You don't have to fall. You don't have to be seduced. Uh, you hear me? I don't care how attractive and how strong and how much the enemy is offering you through the world system. You don't have to accept that. There's something better. There's something better. There's something better than this present world can give you. And Jesus knew that. And so he refused and may God give me and give you the grace as we deal with the seduction of the world. And the world has more means to do it now because you can be in your bedroom all by yourself. Nobody there in the world now has a means to seduce you in your bedroom. You can be in your car, and the world can seduce you in your car. Uh, back then, it, was, they didn't have, it didn't have as much access. You had to be in certain places, but now it can find you wherever you are. All you need is a TV. All you need is a telephone. All you need is a computer, and the world system it can find you. The devil can get to your mind and get to your emotions. So we need to be on our guard more than ever before because the temptations are coming at us more than ever before, more frequently and more intensely and more vividly. So if there's any time to be on our guards and there's an, if there's any time for us to be watching over one another, encouraging one another, correcting one another, rebuking one another, edifying one another, it's now. So what's the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. That's the desire for physical pleasure. I mean, we, we, we all, we're created for pleasure. Satan knows there's a desire, a God-given desire for pleasure that all of us have. But Satan will use that to seduce us, to make pleasure, physical pleasure, more important than the glory of God. So that we start to find fulfillment, or try to find fulfillment in that, rather than in our relationship with God and in God's glory. And so he can offer you, and he will offer you, and the world is good at this. The world can deliver on this. Come on. 
We all know the world can deliver on this physical pleasure. You see, I think the world has an advantage over God here. Amen? Because the world goes for your senses. God chooses to deal with your spirit. Amen? God doesn't choose to influence you through your senses. He chooses to influence you through your spirit. So the, so the world has an advantage because the world can use your senses and, and, and appeal to your flesh in a way that God doesn't choose to do so. So think physical pleasure. Think, think parties. Think booze. Think food, food, food. Think sex. Think uh, uh, sports. Think, think arts and entertainment. Think vacation. Think pleasure and all the tools that the world has at its disposal to appeal to your desire for pleasure pleasure and offer it to you in such a way galore that you can think that's better than what God is offering me. The lust of the eyes think think desire for material possessions. Think money, money, and all that money can buy. That new house, that new car, those new clothes, new shoes, the jewelry. Think of all that money can buy. Well, the world can deliver, man. All of us know people who love the world who are filthy rich. And they can get any possession, anything their hearts desire. They're the richest people in the world are not Christians. And so the world can appeal to our desire for possession and say, look at what I'm able to do. Look what I've done. Look at how many people I've made wealthy who are in love with me. I can do it for you too. And it can appeal to that desire for material possessions and make an offer that is so strong that you can choose the world over God. The pride of life. Think position, social position. That desire for recognition. That desire for status. Think ego. All the things that can build my ego and make me feel superior than you and better than you and have you praising me. We want that recognition. And, the, and, the, and, and so, so, so the world has a way of, of delivering on that too. The most popular people, the best well-known people, don't have a relationship with God. They have a relationship with the world. And so the world has a track record. And that's why we shouldn't play with this thing because the world is able to make you such offers and do so directly through your flesh that it'll be hard for you to refuse. And sadly, we read about demons, but I've seen as a pastor, I've seen it too often where someone gets saved or and they're serving the Lord. They're growing. They're active in the local church. They're involved in prayer. They're studying the word. They're growing. They're growing. And then the Bible says, Jesus, in the parable, the cares of this life creep in. The desire for other things come in. And that word, that growth is, is quenched. And we've seen that where they start to become irregular 
in the church involvement, in their participation in the, in the, in the local church. Uh, they start saying yes to things that they used to say no to. They start hanging out, out with friends and going to places that they should not be going to. And before you know it, they wake up one morning and they're madly in love with the world. And they're no longer in love with God and no longer in love with the things of God. You probably know a few people yourselves. May it not be you. And it will not be you if you hear what the Spirit is saying. It will not be you if you heed the warning that the Spirit of God is giving. It will not be you if you start to give God thanks that he loves you enough in order to warn you in advance. Because I would not be speaking, God would not have me saying this message if he didn't know what some of you are facing right now or what some of you are about to face. Because some of you may be getting to that point where demons got to and God has sent this word in order to save you. And some of us who think that it can't happen to us need to hear this word because the very fact that we think it can't happen to us may suggest it's already happening to us. And we may already be in love with the world and not know it. You know, you, you can be a bishop and the reason you're a bishop is because you love the world. Guess what? Because you know what? I can go into ministry in order to pursue power. Not the glory of God. I can see ministry as a pathway to power. I can see ministry as a pathway to position. I can see ministry as a, as a, as a pathway to pleasure. And there are many people today who are quote unquote going into ministry. And they're not going into ministry because they're called by God or for the glory of God. They see it as a path to greatness. I told you last week, God hasn't called us to greatness. God has called us to godliness. So you can get involved in ministry in the local church for the wrong reasons. Because you see it as a path to greatness rather than to godliness. So we got to examine ourselves. Not to condemn ourselves, but examine ourselves to repent where we need to repent so that we can live the life that God has already called us to and we can live in accordance with who we really are. We are holy. We are set apart. We are sanctified. We are the people of God. Now we need to start living and talking like that. We need to put on Christ in our attitudes and in our behavior, that which is already true in my spirit. I need to put him on in the way I think, in the way I talk, in the way I act. So that the world may begin to see his glory. So the world will use the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life to seduce you. But like Jesus, like Jesus, like Jesus, God give you the grace. God give you the wisdom. God give you the, the power to say no. And to walk out of that wilderness, that temptation, and enter into the perfect will of God, full of the Holy Ghost, doing what God has called you to do. Amen. Fulfilling your assignment, living your life every day for the glory of God. Not for physical pleasure, not for material possessions, not for social position, but for the glory of God. May you be a minister for the glory of God. May you be a teacher for the glory of God. May you be a mother, a father, a businessman for the glory of God. Let that be the thing that drives you. And let that, the glory of God, be the thing that it's the basis for every decision 
of what you will do for pleasure and what you will not do. For what you will do for money and what you will not do for money. For what you will do for influence and what you will not do for influence. The glory of God. So, so you say, Bishop, you say we should refuse the world's offer. Why should I refuse the world's offer when the world can deliver? The world has a track record. And, it, and I see so many people who are in love with the world. And they seem to be happier than I am. They seem to have more power. They have more money than I. Why should I refuse that when the world can deliver so much? Let me give you three reasons from the text. Here's the first reason why you should refuse the world. Because the scripture says, go, go, that, that verse, or go back to the very first uh, verse. Now go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. Let's read. And the world is, oh my goodness. And the lust. Now, why should you refuse the pleasure, the power, the position the world gives you? Because everything the world gives you is passing away. It's fading. It is temporary. It has a, an ex. Ex, 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 expiration date on it. Everything, the position, the power, the pleasure that the world gives do not last. They fade. C.S. Lewis says, why let your happiness depend upon something that will leave you? And it's already leading you. I add that. It's, why do you think we have hair extensions? Why do you think we wear makeup? Why do you think we exercise? Why do you think we spend money on clothes? Why do you think we do all those things? Because we know we're fading. Our glory is fading. And we're doing our best to keep it from you. Amen. We don't want you to see and know how much our glory has faded. But the reality is you can cover it up, but it's still fading. And when you take off the makeup, you will see. Everything that the world gives, all that the world gives you, will leave you and it's already leaving you. That new car, remember how you felt when you drove out of that, that, that car dealership in that new car? You remember the feeling? One year later, the feeling is gone. You're already wondering now, maybe I need to get another car to try to get that feeling again. Remember that house, how you felt good when you moved in it? Right now, the feeling you felt is gone. Now, as you look at it, it looks like a burden. But that's the truth. That's why no matter how attractive and how strong and how much the, this present world can give you. We know it can give you stuff. We're not denying that. But don't forget, it's, it's, it's fading. It will leave you. <laughs> you will leave it, one or the other, but it will disappear. That's a, in, in, in Psalm 37, the psalmist said, he said, uh, you know, there was a man, a wicked man, who, 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 who was powerful and he spread like, like a tree, like a green tree. And then he says, I came and he passed away and I looked for him and he was no more. 
I searched for him, but I couldn't find him. He was gone. Power, pleasure, position that the world gives, temporary. Why choose something to depend on for your happiness and for your fulfillment that you know will leave you? You are an eternal being. The things that will fulfill you ought to be eternal. Here's the second reason why, why, why you shouldn't buy into what the world is offering you. Don't be seduced. And the scripture says, if the love of the world, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not. And here's another reason why you should not be seduced. Because, hear me, if you fall in love with the world, you will lose your love for God. You do not have the ability to do both. You cannot love God and, you can't, and, and love the world at the same time. So, if you make the decision to go with the world, you are making a decision to reject the love of God. And you're going to lose your ability to be intimate with God. You're going to lose your ability to experience the Father's love. You are going to lose your ability to know God. Because you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. It's impossible. I know some of you are trying to two-time. Two-timing, right? You got, you got two, you know, some, of you, some folks manage to have two lovers at one time. I don't know. I never tried it, so I don't know how that works. But I guess there must be some success because some folks seem to, to, to do it for, for a while. But in the kingdom, it doesn't work. In fact, if, even if it, you don't have the capacity, but even if you have the capacity, God won't allow it. Because, he, you know, the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. That's still true. So why shouldn't you fall for the seduction because of what you will lose? If you accept and the seduction and you choose the world, by choosing the world, you're losing God's, your intimacy with God. You're losing your, your, your relationship with your, your intimate. I'm not saying you're losing your salvation. You're losing your experience of God's love. You're losing that. You're going to get to the place where uh, you can't hear God. Because he speaks in a still small voice, but the, the world makes a lot of noise and you're not going to be able to get still enough to hear him. And it's not that God is going to stop having a relationship with you, but you are going to stop having a relationship with him. It's not that God's going to turn away from you, but you're going to turn away from him. And if you turn away from God, guess what? You can't see his face anymore because you're not looking in his direction. You're looking at the world. And if you can't see his face, how can you be intimate? If you can't see his face, how will you know how much he loves you? If you can't see his face, how are you going to know what he's thinking? What he's feeling? If you can't see his face, because you're not looking for it. Don't be seduced by the world because of what you're going to lose. You're going to lose that, that ability to be close and intimate with God, to know God and to hear God and to experience God. Here's the third reason why you should say no. Uh, no, go back. He, say, he says, go, go, go to the next verse. Anyway, the point, I, I, I'm, I'm, he says, but those who, who do the will of God, they will do what? Abide forever. Now, you see that? You see the difference? 
Contrast that with the pleasure, the position, and the, and the, and the possessions the world gives you. Fading away. You don't have to settle for that. You have another opportunity. There's another option. There's a better option. You can choose the will of God. And in choosing the will of God, you're going to be choosing that which abides forever. You see, because unlike what the world gives, that faith, everything God gives you is everlasting. The pleasure God gives you is forevermore. For the Bible says, at the right hand of God are what? Pleasures forevermore. Not pleasures that fade, but pleasures that are forevermore. The possessions he gives you, Jesus said, don't lay up your treasure on earth where moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break in the sea, but do what? Lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break in the sea. So the possessions that he gives you are everlasting. They don't fade away. And what about the position? My goodness, the Bible says, if you suffer with him, you will reign with him. Amen. You will rule with him. And we know that of his kingdom, his kingdom is for everlasting to everlasting. Of his kingdom, there is no end. And so your position as a joint heir ruling and reigning with the king is everlasting. So you don't have to choose. You have a better offer in God. It takes patience. You see, this is what God, God is doing. He promises to bless you in this life and the one to come. But the blessings that we get here is only a foretaste. He saves his best for the next. So you have a choice. You can choose this present world and everything that is fading or you can choose to live for the next. And C.S. Lewis again says, he says, if you live for the next, you get this one thrown in too. But if you live just for this one, you end up losing both. I don't know about you, but I don't have to have a PhD to know that. When you consider the two options, I would settle for a little less now. I will, knowing that what is before me is greater in quality and in quantity. And what God is going to give will be for everlasting. I'm an eternal soul, and I want the blessings that I have to be eternal, not temporary, fleeting, and passing. Hear me, we got to stop. But this is a message that is one that should cause all of us, bishops, pastors, elders, deacons, members, all of us, those who are here watching, to pause and to hear what the Spirit is saying. The world is dangerous. The world system is powerful. If you let it, it will seduce you. It may already have seduced you and you're not aware of it. You need to pause and you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you whether you have already been seduced by the world system and whether you are living your life seeking fulfillment through material possessions, physical pleasure, and social position instead of living your life every day for the glory of God and making your relationship with Jesus a source of your fulfillment.
You want to know whether you're in love with the world or not? Ask yourself, what are you willing to give up in terms of pleasure, in terms of possessions, in terms of position for the glory of God? Ask yourself, how am I using my time, my talent, and my treasure? Am I using them primarily for God's glory or for my glory? Ask yourself that. And if you ask yourself, the answer will let you know whether you really need to repent and turn and once again offer yourself to the Lord to live for his glory and his glory alone. Hear me. The Bible said, if any man loves the world, the love of God is not in him. And we looked at it from one perspective. That the world's love will squeeze out your love for God. But there's another perspective. And here's this, and this is where I want to end. If you are loving the world, there's only one reason that you're loving the world and choosing the world. And that's because the revelation of the love of God for you is not in you. You cannot have a revelation, a growing, abiding, deepening revelation of the love of God for you, in you, and you love the world. And so, after you have repented and said that you're sorry, then pray and ask the Holy Spirit every day, show me the depth, the breadth, the height, of the love of God. Give me a deeper and abiding revelation of God's love for me. Let this revelation live inside of me because as long as this revelation is living in me strongly, I cannot love the world. I cannot love the world. I cannot love the world if the love of God for me, that revelation is growing on the inside of me. In Jesus' name. Every head bow, please. And if you have been watching wherever you are in any part of the world right now, I pray that you heard God and not a man, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Most of us, if we're honest, we will respond to this message with repentance. And we will be saying to God, God, I have not been as careful as I should be, as watchful as I should be. And I have allowed the world system to influence me in ways that it should not. And I repent. And Lord, I'm asking for greater wisdom to be able to recognize the seduction of the world so that I can say no just like Jesus did. And so let's be honest in these few moments and, and may the Holy Spirit help us to truly repent, change our mind concerning possessions, position, and pleasure. Change our mind concerning what we live for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
If you're watching and you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this message is also to you. Because if, you, if Christ is not your Savior, you are living for the world. But I hope you heard what, I, what we said. Everything the world offers you is fading away. But what Christ offers you is forever. You are an eternal soul. You will live forever. And what you need in terms of pleasure and possessions and position are things that are eternal. The things that are eternal are spiritual. And so at this point, you too can repent and you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask the entire church to stand. And I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. Let's pray this from our heart. Let's raise our hands to heaven. And again, please, let's, let's consider this as a very sacred and holy moment as we stand before God. Say with me, Father God, I thank you for your word this morning and for reminding me of the danger of worldliness. Father God, I don't want the world to choke my love for you. I want to love you with all of my heart. Father God, I repent where I've been careless in my interactions with this world. And I've allowed the world system and the values of this world to influence me to do things or say things that were not for your glory I am sorry I want my life to glorify you I thank you for your grace and mercy that covers my sins and cleanses me now Father in Jesus name I want to know your love and I want the revelation of your love to displace any love in my heart for the world. I thank you. Holy Spirit, I open my life to you that you might reveal to me God's love for me in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. Please take some time this week to hear this sermon over again. It's, it's available on Facebook. It's available on our church's website. It's available on YouTube. It will be available as well. Listen to it again and open your Bibles and look at the scriptures and pray over these scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you need to apply this scripture specifically in your situation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you and the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. All right. God bless you. 
Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.